Welcome everybody to the Modern Day Overthinker Podcast. My name is Colin and I am your host. Thank you for tuning in. This episode is with Dan Bush. Dan Bush is the founder of Bummer City Inc. He is a Quad City native such as myself, Davenport to be specific, Davenport, Iowa. Represent. We talked about Dan's business ventures. He's been doing a lot in downtown Davenport. Iowa, as well as downtown Moline, Illinois, right across the river from each other, and trying to expand that, expand those downtowns, and create a better life for the young people who want to go out and do stuff. But not only that, I wanted to have Dan on to talk about a method of therapy that he has used for the last few years and that has really helped him a lot and that's ketamine therapy and I honestly did not know a lot about it and I got to learn a little bit and it was great he shared his experience and how it's helped him and how it can potentially help others not medical advice but he shared a story, and that's what this is all about. So I hope everyone enjoys this episode with Dan Bush. first start out by you know maybe giving a brief intro of yourself and then kind of what you wanted to talk about today because I I know we had you know some side conversations about uh, what you've experienced uh, with your mental health journey over the last few years and what you've been doing and uh, you I don't want to misquote you but you said it was kind of a game changer what you've been doing so So I would like to definitely share that experience with people. But yeah, start out with just a brief intro. You don't have to give the whole, you know, your whole biography, but just a brief intro just so people know who you are. And then we'll start from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, My name is Dan Bush. Uh, I founded a company called Bummer City Inc. Uh, We're basically a hospitality company. Um, And so we're behind Analog Arcade Bar, Armored Gardens, uh, Devin's Complaint Department. And then we're adding a a fourth uh, concept in probably summer of next year called Bummer Burger. And that's okay. going to be in downtown Moline. We're calling it the world's first fast food bar. Um, and I'm more excited about that than anything we've ever done. Um, and basically what our whole mission is, is to try to create fun for young people in the area. Um, I grew up in Davenport, couldn't wait to leave. Um, came back because my, I, met, I met my wife in high school and we wanted to get settled down and have kids. And we thought this would be a good place to do it. But um, was extremely underwhelmed by the number of options of things to do in the area for young yeah. people. And so that's really what our company is all about is uh, trying to create unique concepts that uh, we want to hang out in so that other people want to hang out in them too. I mean, that's really what we're after. That's awesome. So uh, mainly Davenport and Moline right now are where Correct. Yeah. So we, okay. we really aim at downtowns. Downtowns. Um, we okay. really are we're really into reviving downtowns because I think that's where young people want to be. Yeah. You know, I don't think young people are really interested in being up uh, on Elmore and 53rd in a strip mall. You know, I think they want to be downtown and Not somewhere different, walkable. That's a different market. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, um, and I, I just love downtown Davenport. I love downtown Moline. I have a lot of love for both. And um, I think they both have a lot of room to grow. And I think we're only seeing the beginning of where they could head, you know? So I, feel like on, I feel like Davenport's a little bit further ahead than Moline. Maybe I'm wrong. No, you're right. Davenport's definitely ahead of um, the other cities as far as, you know, nightlife and and that kind of young livability. Uh, But downtown Moline has the bones, you know, like the streets are good. There's never construction. Yeah, Um, it's in good shape. It's in good shape, right? And so all all you really need there is for people to take the chance to put concepts down there and then for the rest of the community to kind of follow suit and, 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 you know, basically go to those places. Um, but I think the demand's there. It's just, um, the supply isn't, you know? And so that's why we're trying to focus on Moline and build around analog down there and, and, uh, make it just more young and livable, you know? 
Yeah, I hadn't really been into the analog Moline location a lot until recently. And uh, yeah, I really liked that location, but it was just like, I don't know, it was in the middle of the week and just like down here during the middle of the week, you can at least see a good activity and good amount of people. It was just kind of like a ghost town, like not, not analog specifically, just the whole street. It can be that way, but we get surprised, especially when it gets cold out. We get surprised in downtown Moline. We'll have a random Wednesday where we'll just pop off. It's weird. Um, and so hmm. that that's that tells me that that people are starting to get okay. out of their routines and starting to head downtown. That's and good. I think that's the really exciting thing about Moline right now. I don't know where else I would really go. So, yeah, I mean, besides crossing the bridge, Moline has a lot of chains. It's a lot of chain restaurants, and so I think bringing okay. in you know, different stuff I think is going to be good. Yeah, and the fact that you guys have little pies in there as well is helpful. Absolutely. Best pizza around. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah, I love those guys. I, w- I would like to have both of them on at the same time. I think that would be fun. Oh, yeah. They're great guys. <laughs> <They're> characters. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't know them that well. I know a lot of people. We know a lot of the same people. Uh, so since we're already talking about business, I, I wanted to bring up, you know, with all the, you know, the COVID and the shutdowns and everything going on there, how you kind of adapted and what you did to be able to survive because you didn't shut anything down from what it sounds like. You didn't have to close shop on anything. Yeah. I mean, I think um, COVID professionally for me was the best thing to ever happen. Um, And because it was the first time. Challenge. Well, it was a challenge, but it was the first time, you know, since I started, you know, managing Jimmy John's when I was 25. That's what I did previous. So I was a, a Jimmy John's manager for eight years prior to opening up my own stuff. Uh, Franchisee. Well, I was basically, or, I mean, I, I had a small percentage. I was just an, I was an, an area manager. basically. Okay, gotcha. um, it, I, I definitely wouldn't have called it my own. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I was a driver for a year. Remember? Yeah. I do. That's how we know each other. Yeah. And, uh, not a very but, good one, but I was there. <laughs> you showed up. <laughs> I, I showed up. That's half of it. Uh, but no, I mean, um, it gave me like six weeks to rethink everything. Right. And so we kind of came out of COVID refreshed and, and, um, and we altered the way we did business. Um, and we did that by really focusing on our team and, and okay, how do we develop the best team and how do we grow a culture where people are going to want to work here? Um, and it's worked out. I mean, we basically have a majority of our team has been with us since COVID. Um, and so, especially when people are like, no one wants to work anymore. That's not true. They just want to work at a place that where they feel like they can invest in it and that they're respected and then they stick around, you know? And so, um, you know, I think that my teams are the best. I I think we have the best teams in the quad cities. I don't, uh, really think anyone touches us. And I think that's why they stick around because they, people want to be a part of something that where they feel like they're winning, you know? And, um, I think we've done a lot of that since COVID. Yeah, that's very important. Not a lot of people think about that. I sure there's going to be people out there that didn't want to, don't want to work, but they didn't want to work before COVID anyway. That didn't change anything. No. <laughs> yeah, those people, um, those percentage of people, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, there's always going to be people that don't want to work. Yeah. But then there's also a lot of people that do. Yeah, know? they just want to work somewhere where they're appreciated. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, I think that's where a lot of businesses need to kind of look inward and be like, what are we doing? You know, why are we do, you know, I see a lot of turnover with different businesses and not necessarily the restaurant businesses, but just in general, just because you're treated like a number kind of like you, you feel like you can easily be replaced or you're just not, um, you just don't feel like you're appreciated. So yeah, it really takes the drive out of going to work every day, you know? Well, I think that's a part of it. It's, it always starts with compensation right? Are you starts there? Yeah. It starts there. Right. And then it becomes, am I showing up every day? And I feel like, you know, I think people when they're young think that they don't want rules, but the older they get and the longer they're in something, they realize that rules are actually absolutely vital in order to structure structure. Yeah. Give people structure and have accountability and, and then they stick around and really good things happen. You know, I have a bartender at armored who came to me and said, Hey, I'm putting in my two week notice. I got a GM position at another bar. And I said, great. And we're high, we high fived each other and she's going to work out the month, you know? And like, that's the way it's supposed to work. Right. Yeah. Like ghosting and stuff like that is not the way or me like 
yell fire, like rage firing or whatever is not the way that restaurants are supposed to work. It's supposed to be, Hey, you're moving on to something bigger and better. High five. How can I support you? You know what I mean? Yeah. I had a conversation with, uh, we just had some restructuring with my company and I had a conversation with, uh, my boss's boss about that. And he was just like, you know, what do you want to do? If even if it's not here, what do you want to do? And I was just like, I'd never been asked that question. What do you want to do? I want to own my own company, but I don't know what yet. Um, that's why I'm just working the nine to five and working for somebody until I figure that out. But you started this and you've stuck with it. I mean, you're 40 episodes in. Yeah. Not making any money though. But that, but uh, so, that, you know, that's the thing that. Which is fine, but you know, I have to have the nine to five to pay the bills, you know, for now. Yeah. But it, it's really about just developing a skill set, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's there's a thing that I think people don't understand where there's just a long lull in the middle while you're learning stuff. And that takes years, right? And so yeah. I think people think, oh, I'm going to put it and then three years later there's going to be money. But like you think about like someone like Joe Rogan, like he, had, he was terrible. And he started on his couch and he started doing a podcast and no one knew what a podcast was. Yeah. But he just stuck with it. And the Consistency thing- is crucial, yeah. And I've realized that, like I was telling you before, over the last year, you, you asked when I started the podcast. Well, I started the podcast a couple of years ago, but really did I actually take it, really know what I wanted to do with it until this past year and a half. Yeah. But yeah. You, you're, you see yourself progressing. I bet you could yeah. go back to your earlier episodes and be like, oh, man, it wasn't very good. Yeah. And now in your later episodes, you're like, oh, I'm polished. I'm asking good questions. I have good conversation going. I mean, I listen to it. Like you, you're able to do that. And that's a skill set in itself. You know what I mean? The ability to be able to just talk to people is probably the most underrated skill set in the history of time. Especially now. As always. You know? That's always, never- but yeah, it's it's even more so with uh, communication with a lot of people want to communicate through their phone, through texting, things oh, like yeah. that. Texting's convenient. I love texting. It's uh it's one of my favorite ways to communicate, but sometimes, you know, you got to pick up that phone and talk to people or, you know, go face to face and talk to that person to have a real serious conversation uh, when it comes to whether it's business or intimate relationships, any type of relationship to keep a relationship going. But yeah, being able to talk to people because, yeah, not everyone has that skill set and they have other skill sets or whether they're, in, you know, they might be more introverted mm-hmm. and they could, you know, like, I don't know how to code because right. I, I don't have any patience to do it. Yeah. But I know plenty of people who could just, like, start create a software out of nowhere like my friend Tommy can. It's just ridiculous. Like, he moved here from Seattle. Uh, he worked for Microsoft for, like, five years. Uh, I could be a little off on the, the time range, but he was there for a while. Moved back here from Seattle. Knowing he wanted to start a company a software company and develop a software but really didn't he just knew he wanted to do it and he found the market and he found where people needed software built and just built software from scratch and now he's going to market this month yeah it's just insane isn't that crazy (laughs) yeah but it's just yeah you you start by coding you know several years ago and it just you accrue knowledge over time you know and, I and think me people, being in customer service has helped me even more develop that skill of yep. talking to people because I talk to people, well, up until now, I only talk to people if they're mad. Because <laughs> they haven't all the complaints. I, I, I take the escalated calls now, yeah, because yeah. I'm in leadership. So I actually have to call a lady after this, which is going to be really fun. Um, and uh, But it keeps me on my toes. And I've learned to. Uh, you know, just meet people where they're at because I understand people can get angry because I work with insurance. I work with health insurance and people get really upset. Yep. And uh, especially if they wanted to cancel it and it's not canceled and they already paid for it. It's super expensive and yep. all kinds of crazy stuff. Yep. But uh, let's uh, let's do a little, do a little transition here uh, into uh, what I really wanted to talk to you about because I, not only do I think other people will want to hear about it, but I'm intrigued by it because I've actually talked to my psychiatrist about it is, uh, is the type of therapy that you're doing and you have been doing for the last few years and 
how that's helped you and what you were kind of struggling with and what you maybe still struggle with today and kind of go from there. Um, you've been doing uh, the type of therapy. I don't know why my mind's blanking right now, but uh, you can kind of give us a little synopsis of what you've been doing and how that's helped you out. Yeah. Well, I, I should probably preface this by saying this is not medical advice. Yeah. Right. So of course. <laughs> we should not it. medical, not medical advice. This is just your experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've had depression as really long as, uh, the first time I remember it is fifth grade, right? There was just something, um, that didn't feel right. And I had long lulls of, um, uh, just kind of prolonged sadness. And, and I had that throughout my youth and it, it really kind of came to a peak my sophomore year of college. Uh, my sophomore year, I was, that's the worst it ever was. And I became suicidal when I was a sophomore. Um, I, it was more ideation. I never attempted suicide, but, um, was just in a dark place. So they started throwing me on different medications and one, um, you know, it was called Remron, uh, and heard uh, of it. I had a terrible reaction to Remron, um, and, uh, made me put on like 50 pounds in a year and a half. Um, And, uh, and then I went on several different ones and I couldn't find any that worked. Um, and so the last one I went on was called Cymbalta. I was 30 years old and it gave me horrific nightmares so badly that I was afraid to fall asleep. And so at that point I thought to myself, oh, there's no cure for me. I've been through 10 different medications. Um, I just have to go cold Turkey. I I quit. Tough it out. I quit. Right. I quit drinking. Right. I quit drinking and I got into comedy. That's how that's, I got into stand up comedy to fill my brain. So I didn't want to drink. Right. Yeah. And I wasn't abusing alcohol really. It was more like it was just a crutch coping mechanism. Right. And so I just didn't do it. And so, uh, uh, I got into comedy and I did that. I have a self-admitted obsessive personality. Um, I get into things and I obsess over them. That's just how my brain works. Right. Yep. And so comedy allowed me that outlet because Jimmy John's, I was doing the same thing every day. Uh, and then when I was 32, that's when I opened analog. So I had, um, I was managing five Jimmy John's and then I opened up my first bar, uh, in downtown Davenport, which is seven, seven years ago this week. Um, and did that and then opened up, uh, what was the first iteration of the triple crown whiskey bar and raccoon motel and then, uh, armored gardens. And so when I was 36, I had these three businesses and I just was having a really tough time. Um, and, uh, it was taking a strain on everything. It was, I was, I wasn't a good boss. I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good father. I wasn't a good friend. You know, I was just, uh, every, overwhelmed. every day was a struggle. Every single day was a struggle and I, I wasn't the best version of myself. Uh, so I was doom scroll, scrolling through my phone and I saw this article on, um, I think it was Vox and, and it was a clickbaity headline. It was, Basically like, uh, you know, I was depressed for 20 years and then I took ketamine and it cured me, right? Oh, got to click on that. Right? And so I read it and I just go, bullshit. There's no way. Yeah. Right? There's no way this is this is real. And then I started reading other articles and more and more and more. And then I found clinics and they had and This five. was how long ago when you, first, when you started reading about it? So this was March of 2019. And so... Uh, uh, I went downstairs to my, I found a clinic in Chicago and I went downstairs to my wife and I said, Hey, I, I want to try this. And her instant response was like, yes, let's go. <laughs> right. I'm like, well, she knew what was going on. Yeah, well, obviously. yeah. Cause she was struggling. Right. Yeah. She was, the thing about depression is you spread it to the closest yeah, people she was around struggling because you, you were struggling. Right. Yeah. And she's, you know, my, I mean, she's my rock and, and, yeah. and I wasn't, I wasn't present, you know, Got it. And going so through the motions, just going through the motions of life. And so, um, the deal is, is that you go six times in two weeks. Um, and I, you know, you basically go into a room, like a hospital bed and then you get an IV and the doctor leaves. Uh, and then, you know, for a good hour, you just hallucinate. Um, and it's legal and it's, you know, under a physician's care. Yeah. And, uh, and so you're supposed to do it six times in two weeks. But after the first time I walked out in the lobby and I saw my wife and my life was changed. And I know that sounds dramatic, but like, that's truly how yeah. it worked for me. Other people, it takes four or five, six times. Right. Yeah. But the crazy part is that, you know, for depression, um, you know, uh, 30% of people who with depression are, are what they're, what they call drug resistance. So all of the classic Prozacs and Lexapros and all that, like it doesn't work on people like me. Right. But of those 30% who then try ketamine, um, it has like an 80% success rate. So, you know, to me, this is the closest thing that I've seen to, to a miracle, uh, in my life. 
there was my life before 36 and there was the life after 36 and it's completely different. Um, not to say there's not peaks and valleys and, and you know, yeah. you, you work through it. Right. But you're, basically you're just happy all the time. Once every no, three weeks. I mean, once every three weeks, I now there's a clinic in Davenport. Yeah. I've heard, right yeah. by Buffalo Wild Wings. And I go there once every three weeks, I get an IV, I trip for an hour and then I feel great. And then about two weeks I start getting a little antsy and my anxiety ticks up. And then usually around day 18, 19, I crash. Right. And so then, that's kind of like your medications slash your therapy at the same time. You give therapy to yourself. So basically okay. what, what the, what the hallucination does is you are able to have a conversation with your egoless self. Okay. And so it's almost like any time I'll go in with intentions. If I have a problem with a relationship or with work or whatever, I'll take the problem into the trip and I'll say, all right, like, how do I figure this out? And then it'll just kind of give me the answer. And it's never been wrong. That's the crazy part. It doesn't always give me the answer, but whenever it does, it gives me the right answer and it gives me the right way to approach something. And then I get to be better at what I do. And I get to be a better husband and a better father and a better boss. Right. So it's almost like it gives me this kind of clarity that I didn't previously have. And another weird thing is that it drastically has increased my empathy because I think when you're in a really dark place, you really can't think of anything outside of yourself, Yeah, you know? And this is the type of thing where, um, uh, now that's been removed and that, that burden is gone. Um, I can understand how my words and actions can affect other people more. I can, I can pick up when someone is not in a happy place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that just allows me to just be more empathetic and a better version of myself, which is just what I'm always trying to be. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. I, I had a conversation with somebody, I think it was not even a year ago. Uh, well, I first talked to my uh, psychiatrist about it, brought it up to her, and she's like, I've heard of it, but I don't know a lot about it yet. You know, because it's, you know, it's pretty new. Um, and she's like, and I'm like, well, I found out this this lady that's done a lot of research on it online, and uh, me being me, I was just like, you know what, I'll just, I'm I'm going to reach out to her office and see if I can talk to her. Yeah. Because I wanted to talk to her about this because, and I didn't even know how the, I just knew ketamine was involved. I didn't know what the whole process was or what anything. I just knew ketamine was involved. And the only thing I knew about ketamine before was people who go into K-holes at festivals. Sure. (laughs) That's the only thing I knew about it. And that's happened to me three times. So, you know, because I've done, I mean, you know, now that I've been doing it for so long, I've had over a hundred trips, you know, on, in a, in a medical clinic. Right. Yeah. Um, and just three have gone sideways. It's not a consistent experience. And I think that's what, um, there's ebbs and flows. There's sometimes it, it happens and it doesn't work and I go out and I don't feel any better and I have to go back two or three days later and go again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there's other times where, um, for whatever reason, uh, I lose all object permanence and um, it's scary. You know, it's not a great experience. Um, but then I come out of it and you kind of forget it and it's fine. You know what I mean? So like there are, there are pitfalls to it. Right. Um, but the, the net gain is incredible. Um, and I've had friends get into it and um, it's made huge strides for them, you know? So I had a friend who said the same thing basically said the same thing when you talked about it, like just basically changing your life completely. He did, uh, I always pronounce it wrong. Is it ayahuasca or ayahuasca? Oh yeah. That's, that's, that's heavy stuff. Yeah. Was it, did he go to Mexico or Central America? No, he went down South. There was some, there's, I know in Kentucky, cause like yeah, this, this kind of gets right. you interested in that world. Right. And I haven't done any of that stuff, but like, um, that, that is something where you, apparently can have what they call full ego death. Yeah. Which I'm almost scared to face. <laughs> like like <laughs> yeah. that's over. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Yeah. Uh, but I had a friend who did it in Mexico and, um, it just gave him the runs. Like he didn't have any hallucinations. You know? <laughs> he just, like he did the full like sweat lodge. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. you go and they chant and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a religious ceremony, right? Like that's, it's, that's the only reason that this guy's able to perform it is because it's a religious ceremony. Yeah. Otherwise, he is distributing narcotics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's one in Kentucky. I know that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why Vice did a show on it. Um, that's how he found out about it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't have any interest in doing that. 
Yeah. And the thing is, like, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, there's uh, psilocybin and MB- MDMA. and Yeah, and I've been hearing a little bit about that, too. There's different, um, you know, they're doing things with magnets. Mushrooms. Psilocybin, oh. yep. That's who you're talking okay. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I found the thing that works for me. And so I was just like, yeah. I'm sticking to the thing that works. And Exactly. And, you know, uh, sometimes the, the trips are fun and sometimes they're not fun at all, you know? And I think that's the thing. It's like, oh, that'd be so cool, you know? It's like, no, it's work, right? Like, you, your brain's going through the ringer and sometimes it's cool and sometimes it's really not cool, you know? And when it's not cool, is it still can it still be helpful when it's not cool? Yes. Yeah. That's uh, good to know. And, and oftentimes it is. Um, oftentimes when work it's not that. good. Yeah, you have to work through it. And your brain starts uh, working at a rapid pace, and um, it can definitely change your perspective on stuff, you know? Yeah. I uh, The reason I was so hesitant about it was the fact that, I, you know, I heard, I heard ketamine. I was like, ketamine's a drug. I'm in recovery. What if I get hooked on ketamine? And I was like, got really weird about that. And so I asked the lady about it, and she's like, well... I don't know. She, I put her in kind of a weird, because I did get end up talking to this professor, and I wanted to have her on the podcast, but she said no. But I was like, okay. I got her on a call for like 20 minutes, and she was like, we don't know enough to be able to say that, you know, you being an addict, um would it would be a good idea for you. We don't know whether to say that's a, if it's good or bad. So, you know, just out of precaution cuz I can't really give you medical advice because I'm not your doctor. I would probably steer clear of it for now. Is basically what I was told. But she's not my doctor. She didn't really know my whole history or anything like that. Um so it's something I'm not I it's not completely off the table for me. Because I am on multiple medications right now. Um, some have had side effects. Some of them have not. I've gotten off the ones that had to have major. Have I've had major side effects. Never had the weight gain problem. I've heard that from multiple people from different medications. I've never had that issue. But I've had issues with like sexual side effects, which no one wants that in their twenties and thirties. No, <laughs> I was like, no, it's thank tough, you. Right, um, stuff like that or. You know, I just felt like I didn't really have, uh, I felt like I was kind of like a, like a zombie a little bit sometimes on certain medications. That's the, like, that was the best case scenario for me was that was the, best, the zombie. Yeah. The best ones made me feel just numb. Yeah. And so for me, it was like, I decided I would rather be on the roller coaster of just kind of manic roller coaster of feeling joy because it would just, it would zap me of all joy, mm. you know? And so I didn't feel bad, but I also didn't feel good. You weren't excited. And, and this isn't a life worth living, right? Yeah. And I think that's what I talk to a lot of people about, about depression, is they're like, I just want to get to a baseline. I go, no, you don't. You don't want to get to a baseline, right? Like, you you have one life and you Baselines have, are monotonous. Well, it's also like you, you, you have to strive to be the happiest version of yourself, right? Yeah. And so don't – when you're so deep into depression, you just want to feel normal for a minute. And I get it because I've been there many, many times. But you have to strive to, like, get completely out of it. And so, like, this was a radical thing that I tried, and yeah. it's now picking up a lot of steam. Um, and now I'm an advocate for it because it worked for me. Yeah. Now, the thing with addiction, the only people that I would not recommend ketamine for are people who have any kind of delusions, right? Because if you have any kind of delusions, any kind of um, paranoid schizophrenia or schizophrenia of oh, any form, yeah. it's because you're going to start blurring what's real and what's not real. right? Which could be very detrimental. And so anyone who has any kind of delusions, I would not recommend it for. Um, but as far as addiction, um, you know, it's a controlled setting. I, I mean, well, I had, I was a smoker for 16 years and then it was about year two and a half two two and a half and into ketamine. I literally just made the decision to stop smoking. It, it, it was, it was a weird, like, Almost like you, you're able to control control your mind over. And matter. it was something you thought about during a trip, or you thought about before and after. Or it was literally like I just woke up one day and I was like, I'm just not going to do it anymore. And like I talk to people who quit smoking, and they're like, Oh, I think about it every day. I'm disgusted by it. My ketamine has allowed me to just make a decision. 
and and then quit something of 16 years that I was a regular user of um, overnight just because I made the decision. It's weird. It's how people with alcoholism who, uh, um, you know, who couldn't kick it and then they get into ketamine and ketamine has cured them of that. It's a weird it's a weird thing. And the thing is they don't even know how it works really. I mean, you're basically messing with the, the mural, the neuroplasticity in your brain. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like when you're doing that, like, like someone's scrubbing your brain, like you almost feel like a tingle on your brain, almost like the electricity is firing in spots that it wasn't firing before, you know? Got it. And so I think what it does is it just kind of your synapses kind of get rebuilt and then you can kind of operate on a higher level, increase your focus, right? increase your empathy, increase your joy, just your capacity for joy just explodes, you know? Um, but, um, the only thing that I think could be a threat as far as addiction goes is that you you can get what's called trochees, which are basically lozenges and that's for at home use. So in between kind of your infusions, um, in order to keep a certain baseline, you can, you know, ask and your doctor has to approve it, but you can get these trochees. Those can be abused. Right. Yeah. But if it's 400 bucks a pop, which is out of pocket, insurance won't cover it. No, thanks. Um, it's the type of thing where it's like, it's hard to get addicted to. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the clinic's going to be like, Hey, you're coming a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it probably means that there's bigger things at play and they're going to intervene. Yeah. Everybody like, maybe this isn't for you. But. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So yeah. Cause it's like, I'm on three or four different medications right now which is, I think, ridiculous, which I've been I've been working with my psychiatrist to, because basically we started with, you know, hey, let's try these, and then we'll kind of take out the ones that we don't need, lower the dosage, and, you know, you know, yeah, you know how the med game goes. It's it's like being a guinea pig, basically. And um, Do you feel like it's beneficial? I feel like it has been in a sense, but I feel like my therapy has been more beneficial than anything uh, for my OCD, because I've done a lot of exposure response prevention therapy, which is basically sitting with your anxiety and approaching something that makes you anxious and doing it until you're not anxious anymore, basically, mm-hmm. um, which I think comedy has helped a lot with that. And that's not something that was one of my uh, biggest fears, but it was a fear like to get on stage and tell it's amazing, man. It's <laughs> comedy, comedy really is, it's a drug. Comedy is a drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, there's, there's, phases. because yeah. there's a peak and then there's a crash, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not in a crash mode right now, but I'm in a, like a kind of a weird space right now where it's like I don't feel that funny for some reason. I mean the crash. When you, when you are peaking and you are making a, a room full of strangers laugh. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you get off stage and it's over. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just have that moment of like, oh, it's gone, right? I want that back again. I want that back again. Yeah. I mean, that's really what the, the – I, I, I watched people over the course of the two years that I did it. They were, they were comedy addicts. They were like, how can I get up? I need to get up on stage. People from Chicago who are used to getting up four or five, six times a week, they wanted more. And they were running out of open mics to go to in the week, yeah. you know? And here it's like, you don't have the opportunities, but there was a point where I was the addict, right? Where I was going to open mic Monday, going up to, you know, uh, Cedar Rapids on Tuesday and then boozies on Thursday. And then there was a Saturday night one at what used to be, you know, something before brew in the village. And then I was trying to get on a showcase somewhere. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's no different, but it's just a whole lot healthier. And you're around a lot of people who are like you in that way. You know? Yeah. It's another community that I didn't know I needed. Yeah. Like, I had, you know, I have people, I have a good recovery community, people in recovery, and, uh, but I did not know I needed the comedy community. And they'd been, there's been just a lot of, a lot of great people that I've met. And for the most part, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be a few, few rotten ones or toxic people, but for the most part, like we all like want each other to do well mm-hmm. and, uh, give each other stage time and, uh, I was at the, I was at the Renwick, uh, a few weeks ago and, um, I can't remember who the guy was. He was from New York, but you know, Chris just pulls these guys out of his ass <laughs> and they're good. Oh, uh, and then you're just like, how, 
I don't know how he does it. It's great. But, you know, he's developed a network over the years. And uh, he gets these guys, and I'm just like, and I didn't have anything going on. It was a Sunday night, and I was, you know, I was talking to this girl, and I was like, all right, we'll, we'll go to this uh, go to this comedy show. And uh, I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm just there to be an audience member. And, like, five minutes before the start show starts, Chris is like, I'm going to have you do five. I'll let you have four. And I'm like, what? And I was like, God damn it. Because <laughs> I. You got a girl there. Hey, yeah, I was like, gonna watch. I had a girl there who I w- who things were not going well, and I was planning on ending it after the show, so I was in a weird space, and uh, I was like, "Damn it!" So, and she doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, she lives at this address. Her name. Yeah, yeah. It, even if she did, it's fine. But uh, so, I was like, "Fuck." I can't turn I can't turn down stage time. And you know there there was a group of guys from Chicago and then there's this guy from New York. I'm like I can make connections and I'm like I didn't completely bomb, but it, it was not my best performance by any means, but it was still like it was a uh it was an at bat. Mm-hmm. And I take as I try to take as many at bats as I can. That's all, that's all you that's, can do. It's really what it's about. Yeah. And just like keep writing and tweaking. I think yeah. where a lot of people go wrong is that they they, they find stuff that works and then they just stick with it. They just do the same thing over and over. I can't I can't be that guy. I've seen it too many times. Oh, there's yeah. I mean there are certain people that just did the same set for three years, four years straight. I'm like, you you're you gotta start writing. You gotta be better and take risks. If I do the same set for like a few months, I get mad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, that's not like I love Donnie Townsend. Oh, Donnie, he's my favorite. He's well, my Donnie, like we came up together, right? Like he's, and yeah. so like watching him progress over the last 10 years to where he is now from where he was, is that he's not afraid to take a risk. And I think that's what makes it exciting. Every time I see Donnie perform, I'm like, Oh, I'm probably going to laugh at something that I've never heard before. And it's so absurd. Like the premise of it is so silly. Like he's going to start talking about beans at some point. <laughs> and it's going to be the funniest thing I hear in weeks. You know what I mean? So I mean, that's the thing. It's the people who are constantly challenging themselves and not afraid to like, you know, they don't feel embarrassed if, if a joke doesn't hit, you know, that ability to let it roll off and be like, all right, on to the next, you know, yeah. like it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. This is just another day, you know? And I think so many people go up and think that they live and die by the set that they're in. And it's just not the case, you know? The more I psychoanalyze and the more I go up there, like with a, like a completely prepared set list, the worse I do. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. If I just have like a few things or I know I'm going to talk about this, I know I'm going to talk about that. Otherwise, like even some of my friends have told me like if you're just if you once you start like riffing and going, you are that's better than some of the stuff you have written. I'm like, yeah, I'm just like it depends on a lot of things, you know. I can work off the crowd. If there's no crowd, then you know, got to go with the material that I've written cuz I don't really have much to work with in the yep. crowd, but you know, it's fun. It's, uh, it's gotten me out of myself. It's gotten me definitely better at talking to people in general. Uh, because like if I go up on stage and just talk and everyone is looking at you, it makes one-on-one conversations way, way easier. They've already been not that hard for me anyway, just cause I've, um, I have a, that, talent or that gift anyway to do that but it just made that even more easier just have come i go up to stranger in the middle of the street and just start having a conversation with them and not worry about it if it goes sideways or if (laughs) i had a guy that wanted to fight me after uh open mic uh in cedar rapids and i haven't been back since but not because of that just i haven't made it back since i want to try to go tomorrow but because he went on stage and he started talking about, you know, struggling with addiction and looking for a sponsor. And then one of my, and you know, my friend Austin, I don't know if you've met Austin Ingalls yet, but he's a very Anthony Jeselnik style comedian. He's, he's had people walk before, um, but he's hilarious. But, uh, he just looked at me and I'm like, God damn it. He's like, he's like, you're the sober dude. Like, and it was, and then, well, Starman was there too. And uh, I was like, I got to say something when I get up on stage. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. but So I kind of ripped on him a little bit. And 
slash gave him advice, uh, solicited advice because he was asking. He almost didn't even do a stand up set. He just did like a he just dumped. Mm-hmm. He just went up there and dumped. And he was very new. Yeah, there are people who treat open mics as therapy. And then just fucking. It's just, oh, it's the worst. Yeah, it can be therapeutic in a way, but make it funny at least. Come on. Uh, there's a lot of guys that just go up there and treat every, the crowd as their therapist. And it's <laughs> yeah, it's I've not. heard, oh, yeah, this is a story about my, about my, my dad died, no punchline. You know, I'm severely depressed, no punchline. No woman will talk to me. No punchline. I've seen it all, man. I'm not getting laid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great story. I've heard that one a million times. <laughs> we already knew that, buddy. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I. Yeah, that guy was not happy with me. But I think it's because I said something about dating in recovery. And he was newly in recovery. And he was with a chick that's also new. And uh, I did that. And it didn't go well. And I know a lot of people where it didn't go well. So I kind of mentioned that, and I think he thought I was kind of like trying to cock block him and shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, because I, I went up after after I was on stage, I went over there just to be like, hey man, I was like, you know, I was just, you, which I shouldn't have had to do, or I, I don't know why I thought I had to do it, but I was like, hey, just so you know, I was just joking, even though we're at a comedy show. Right. Um, but this guy was pretty intense, so I just wanted to make it clear to him. Or if he did want to actually talk about, you know, being in recovery, because this guy was, like, really struggling, clearly. Yeah. And he just stonewalled me, just told me to get the fuck away from him, and I'm just like, all right, man. And then I talked to the bartender, and she's like, yeah, that, that he's been coming in the last few weeks. He, he doesn't want help from anybody. He just talks about it. I'm like, all right. Well. Good, good to know. <laughs> good to know. Won't, won't approach that again. Yep. Yeah, jeez. Oh, man. So what made you stop doing comedy? Just too busy or? Yeah, so uh, that's I stopped comedy um, right before we opened Analog. Makes sense. And so the whole thing was that, the you know, Jimmy John's was an amazing experience. And I, it truly, like, set me up for the rest of my life. It gave me a skill set that I use every single day. The problem was there was no creativity to it. And so I needed a creative outlet. But there, there was just, there's so much structure. It was know. all structure. I mean, it was the most structured. It was great for me. It was, it, was, it was like being in the military. Every day was the same. I did the same thing. I sliced lettuce at this time. I stretched bread at this time. Yeah. Right? So every day was like. I remember all that. And, just, and I was in college and I was just like, you know, I was just working there just to make extra money. Like, yeah. I was like, this is so stupid. Why do we got to clean the walls? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, but they, they, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was a really But now good I look back at it, I'm like, that all, like, it all makes sense. It's routine, right? Yeah. So then I, uh, I basically, um, I had a creative, creative outlet with analog, right? Like, oh, yeah. that was a chance where, you know, we, we had a bl- blank slate and we got, we got to do whatever we wanted. And so that filled, that scratched that itch for me. How'd uh, you start? Getting, uh, getting the games and getting into that that world where you had a chance to you know have because you rotate games a lot. Well, yeah, it started. Um, we the whole idea of analog started because I was going to the clubhouse, which is a golf simulator bar, and they used to be in yeah. a different location. And every bar still had like the golden tees and big buck hunters and stuff like that, but they had a Street Fighter Two machine, Ooh. and that was my favorite game growing up. Great and game. so I was like, oh man, like what have you had? a bar with 50 of these. Right. And so then I found one on Craigslist, this kid in Viola, Illinois, he was 16, who is now our game tech at 23. Um, He just repaired game. Yeah. He can, he can, he can fix any old eighties, nineties arcade. Um, And so we bought our first game through him. I bought my first game through him. And then that was just for you. That was just for me personally. We put it in the break room and basically the storage room at the Rock Island Jimmy John's. Nice. And I started exposing these 16 year old kids to this game and they loved it, you know? So um, that's how it all got started. And and then um, we basically started looking on Craigslist and we'd go to buy one game and we'd hook up a trailer and go to Chicago and we'd leave with four games. And it kind of kept happening like that where, you know, now we have, man, probably like, I don't know, like 120 games. So do you have a warehouse then? Yeah, so Armored Gardens, there's a warehouse that's connected. Okay. That's where we store our games. That's what that is. Okay. um, Yeah, it's jam-packed full of games. Um, But uh, no, and and that's the thing. It was just guessing. And then you start – it's a very tight community. Uh, 
there was a guy named Pat Johnson who was living in Muscatine who's now in Decorah and he was like the kingpin of arcade games. Like he could find you anything, you know? Um, so it's, it's a cool community. New guy, a new guy. Yeah, basically yeah. it's a, it's a cool community, you know? And, uh, it's just, it's been a wild ride. I figured that it was some type of community. You just had to get your foot in. Yeah. Well, the I right mean, the, people. the tough thing now is that there's no innovation in the space. Uh, because, uh, everything is run by Dave and Busters. So Dave and Busters is the ones who they buy these arcade games through these companies and they set the terms. So they're like, it has to be huge. It has to be a kiddie game that a little kid can play. Um, and so that's the thing that we're struggling with right now is finding a way to innovate because there's nothing new coming in that we're excited about. So it's like, you can recycle through the old games as much as you want, but we've run out of that. So now it's like, what new thing can we introduce that a 21, 23, 28 year old is going to be into? Yeah. Um, and so that's our struggle right now is that it just, you know, there's three or four pinball machines that come out a year that are worth a damn. Right. And then everything else is kind of recycled stuff. So we're, we're just trying to figure out what the future looks like, you know, for the analogs. So, I mean, obviously you're going to have some people that come in and they're like, this is my game and I just play this game. Yeah. You're have some of those people, but then you, also have like the people that you know i want to see something different every time i go in there mm-hmm. so. well and there's also like you know we took a corner of the davenport location and we put in four tvs and we put in nintendo switches right because mm-hmm. we're like hey if you're 21 you don't know what street fighter is you don't know what mortal kombat is but you know nintendo switch you yeah know, you know what mario kart is yeah um and so we're trying to find ways even though we don't monetize you know nintendo switches it doesn't it's not a revenue generator for us it gets people in and it gets them staying and drinking you know what i mean yeah. but really like again we opened up analog when i was sober so it, it, it the place was designed for people to hang out even if they don't want to drink you know yeah like you can go play guitar hero for three hours straight you know what i mean like yeah. there's stuff for you to do and so i think that was the biggest thing for me was create create hangouts that you know don't revolve around drinking don't revolve around it yep yeah yeah a lot of uh Ping pong tables and armored, same thing, right? Like give people something to do, you know? Yeah. So it's not just another bar. Not yet. Not just bar, TVs. That's it. Pool table, maybe. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and that's like the standard bar. Oh, man. Maybe some popcorn to try to get people to stay or something. That's stay right. Like yeah. That. Yeah. There's, yeah, because there's just so many bars here. You yeah. It. I mean, there's a lot of liquor licenses in the Quad Cities for sure. Um, but, they're getting better, right? Like I think the scene is getting better. Um, I mean, just the beer scene here is amazing. Like the Quad Cities is a really, really great brewery scene. We used to have three breweries, four breweries for the longest time, and now we have like twenty. You know, there's been so many pop up that I didn't know about because I've been sober for five years, and in that five year span, what like, Dan and I talked about here was there. completely amazing. relevant. Everybody, everybody. Loves now it. that this episode has aired, so I cut it out. It. I'm gonna stop. So I've this is eaten just at a the kitchen for short interlude yeah. to let you know that. Ever. Yeah, I love kitchen. There's new episodes every, every Monday of this podcast, and also yeah. if you're so. not subscribing on the platform that you are listening on, I would highly suggest it if you enjoy this podcast. Also, leave a review, especially Apple reviews. They help me out a lot and increase my exposure, so I can get more listeners back into it yeah it's davenport i'm related to everyone we're yeah. probably related yeah we're probably like fourth cousins yeah know? i don't know man my, my roots are in muscatine actually so. oh yeah right on yeah that's where the family's from that's where uh stray jacks and my mom's side the cooney family which there's a million of those yeah yeah she's a big big catholic family uh which you know all about that so absolutely absolutely uh, i'm also gonna probably i'm having coffee with uh I've been trying to, uh, I've been friends with Annie Sopulis for, since I was in probably fifth grade. So, um, been trying to hang out with her a little bit more and talk to her about her business and, um, just, uh, also, you know, she's right down the street from Stardust. So, you know, and she's willing to help me promote the show too. Yeah, so. she owns Theo and Co., yep. which is a uh, men's and women's clothing yep. store, which I buy. 90% of my clothes from now. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's got a good selection. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've met, um, man, I never remember his name. Dude from allied barber. Oh, Russell. Yeah. Russell. Yeah, Russell. Russell yeah. yeah. 
He's got a cool selection of stuff in there too. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, you know, the place that opened next at the Owen Co. Uh, Blue Spruce. I've eaten there five times this week. It's the opening week. It's amazing. <laughs> Seriously, like five times. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. I ate there twice today, breakfast and lunch. Ooh, the I, food is amazing. Like, what kind of food is it? Well, it's kind of like a micro grocer, and they bake their own breads because he's a Brandon Carlton, who's the owner. He's a like a like he's a big bread guy. He's a baker by trade. He's a baker, yeah. And so, like, you know, and I, heard, I, I remember hearing about this. Well, I'm a sandwich aficionado, you know, aficionado because I worked at Jimmy John's for eight yeah. years, you know. So I know a thing or two about good sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, but the food is incredible. Um, it's all these kind of scratch ingredients type thing. Um, really high end ingredients. Uh, breakfast, lunch spot, or do they have dinner too? Uh, it's just breakfast, lunch. But again, you, they're fine. feeling, they're figuring it out. Like they're, they're a weekend, but. Um, I'm so glad they're a block away because I'm just I'm already a regular. Um, and then we have the indie movie theater coming in. I've heard, yeah, I saw some uh, articles about that. That's coming in, and then uh, Raygun, uh, the T-shirt. Yep, they're yep. moving in in November, and then Oh So Sweet's going to expand and yep. and move in next to them. Uh, so there's just tons of cool things. What's going to go in Harold's space? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, the the cool thing is, is that you know downtown Downport just keeps getting better. Yeah, and it becomes more and more livable. And I think when you know, uh, people are getting priced out of cities. This is a great option. If we can give people a life here where they can live affordably and own a home, for example, and have a yard and have a dog, right. Yeah. Uh, and not be on top of each other in some high rise. Like, I think that's a game that we can win. Um, especially with people working remote, you know? Yeah. Um, I've had people move, you know, move back from LA and they're like, Oh, I can have a house here. That's I got three, a buddy four that's bedroom back end of the year, right? Three or four bedroom. And it would basically be the cost of a, of a two car garage in San Francisco or LA or whatever, you yeah. know? Um, so you can get space here and you can build something here. I couldn't do what I do in any major city. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to open one place, you know, but here I can have five places. You know what I mean? Cause the real estate's cheap and, and people want to support stuff. For commercial real estate is down right now. Like, cheaper right now or is that am i right around yoshi was saying something about that yeah well yeah i mean i think commercial real estate in general i think you know office spaces are not really in high demand and Mm -hmm. um people are just kind of trying to figure out covid and you know recession and all those type of things and trying to basically figure out like um do we need an office right (laughs) exactly So no, there, there are definitely deals to be had, but like just everything that we're doing here is at a fraction of the cost that's happening in any city, including a liquor license, right? Like if if you're trying to get into what I do in Chicago, you're going to have to hire a lawyer and you're going to have to do all these things and it's going to be a lot of money. And and Davenport, it's like you apply to the state, as long as you don't have a felony, you're going to get it. And it's going to be 2,500 bucks, you know? So it's like the, 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 um, Barrier to entry is much lower here than in most places. There was a comedian, Nathan, I can't remember his last name. You might know him. He's been around for a while, but he's more, he's a Wisconsin guy, but he was thinking about opening a club in Rockford, but apparently he got, he hit a wall because of all the stuff he had, all the money and all the things he had to do before even opening the doors. I can't remember his last name. Clemens, I think Nathan Clemens. I don't think I know him, but I mean, Illinois is tougher than Iowa for sure. But yeah, he, I, I think he's trying to. He still, he still wants to do it, but I, I think the location and where he was going to do it in Rockford it just fell through. Yeah, unfortunately, because yeah, from what I've heard, is it was just because it was so astronomical just to get the get the doors open. Yeah, which is rough, but. Because, yeah, um, Rockford's only a two-hour drive. It's easier to get there than Chicago. Yeah. Um, I would like to do some open mics in Chicago. I've, did you ever do any comedy out there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did, like, a small tour. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've done shows in Chicago. I mean, you know, kind of that Omaha-Des Moines kind of loop. and Yeah. Um, uh, not too much further out from that, but uh, – it's just, it was a fun thing, you know, it's a, it's a fun thing to just get into and obsess over, you know, cause it's, it's a constant chess game. It's like, yeah, you can play golf and you know, there are people who play golf and every day is a challenge and, and it's like, yeah, someone like me gets bored doing that. You know, like I need something that's more stimulating mm-hmm. and I don't think there's anything more stimulating than going up on stage with just a microphone and your thoughts and, 
yeah. trying to translate that, that into laughs. So like, that's a challenge. And when you succeed, it's the highest high in the world. And it's when you bomb, best. like when you bomb, it's like your body hurts. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you wake up the next morning sore. You're like, Oh God, this is terrible. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I had those moments too. So yeah. Like I, I kind of felt like that after my last show and everybody always, and not everybody, a lot of people who have done shows are like your second show, man, you got to watch it. Second show never goes that well. Um, or not as well as your first one. Cause my first one was great. I had over a hundred people show up. I, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the Stardust building, mm-hmm. uh, but they have that upstairs room and then they have the downstairs room. We were in the upstairs room because I knew I couldn't fill the downstairs room. Downstairs rooms, pretty good size. And uh, so we set everything up there and we set it up. I didn't do any pre-sales, so I had no idea. I was basing everything off of Facebook, Mm -hmm. which is a crapshoot. And I thought we'd get maybe 50, 60 people, which is still a good show from what I've seen from shows I've been to anyway. Um, but that, but no, it was way better than that, which is awesome. But the way we had it set up upstairs, we had like not just stadium seating, there was tables and things like that. So we ran out of space where people could even stand. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, so next show, we got to move it downstairs. Can you make that room a little bit smaller? Cause otherwise it's going to look really weird and they could, Mm -hmm. and we adapted and then like half the people showed up I was like, and uh, I got over it pretty quickly, but that that night and even a little bit the next day, I just felt like I felt like I bombed. Yeah. And we, and even when I went on stage in between hosting, and like I I could barely fake it. Yeah. Because I was so mad. Yeah. <laughs> I was just yeah. like, you, and and that and I was and I did even more promo for that show than I did for the first one. I, they put they put me on Channel Six, which the when I think about Channel Six, I was like. I was on the news, but I was on the news at noon where people who go to comedy shows are probably not going to people. They're probably not watching the news at noon. So I was like, eh, but you take what you can get. Like it's the same thing with like the channel four thing. Uh, you know, they're throwing me a bone and letting me be on the living local thing. When some people pay to be on that. Did you know that? Yeah. They've asked me to pay before. Yeah. But they have to make money. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. There was no way I was going to pay to be on that or I can't afford it. I was like, I, my, my budget for promotion is like less than a hundred bucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's it. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not spending any more than that. And I already, and I've only get, guaranteed one of the comics money the headliner. Cause he's coming from Peoria. Other than that, like. Who's that? Uh, Jeff Bailey. I love Jeff. Everybody loves this guy. Everyone I've never else, seen dude. him. Jeff is the best dude. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Jeff is like one of like, he's like a positive light in comedy. Yeah. Like he's just a great dude. Yeah. He, he just has this energy about him. Like you just want to hang out with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Every time I see him, he comes through for alternating currents and I'm so excited to see Jeff. He's just the, he's a, he's an amazing dude. Yeah. Everybody has said pretty much the same thing that you just said for the most part in their own words. And usually who I ask for um an opinion for when it comes to comedy uh there's a few there's a few people that i ask their opinion on the main person i've became the better i wouldn't say we're best friends but we're good friends now is leslie mitchell oh yeah and uh so i bounce ideas off her all the time and she's a straight shooter i think i saw her first open mic really yeah yeah. Which is great because she was improv forever and she switched over, but she does both. Oh, dude, stand up's way better than improv. Oh, yeah. It's I tell, way better. I tell her all, I, I I talk shit about improv all the time. It's fun. No, it's it was a different skill set. Oh, it's like, a totally different skill set. You have other people to play off of, right? Like when you don't have anyone else to play off of and you're just alone up there, it's way different. It's way different. Yeah. No, I could, uh, I think improv is is challenging in a different way for sure. And it's something that I don't, have any interest in i want to do some sketch stuff but that, that involves writing because i like writing yeah the way i heard it described to me is that the difference between stand-up and improv is that improv people had have good relationships with their parents 
I don't know why I think that's so funny. <laughs> I have a great relationship with my parents. I just want to be clear about that, but it's just funny. For the record, we <laughs> Mike, both have good relationships. Mike, with our Kathy, you're the, you're the greatest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents listen to some episodes here and there, so you never know if they're tuning in. I didn't always have a good relationship with my parents, but I do now. It's better than it ever has been because I know how important that is because I know a lot of people who don't and or who don't have the opportunity, you know? Well, I mean, you've taken steps to get your life right, Yeah, you know? And I think that's awesome that you're five years sober and, I mean, that's that's an incredible step in itself. It's in, it's important and it's one of those things that's like, yeah, um, was I self-medicating? Absolutely. Was I, you know in a space where I, or am I in a space where I can never drink again? I don't know. All I know is I don't want to right now. And if the whole looking too far ahead thing or the people that say, Oh, I'm going to be sober the rest of my life. You're setting yourself up for failure by saying that. I think it's just kind of weird. Um, taking it day by every person that you talk to, even like the people that I know that have been like sober for like 30, 40 years, they're like, they don't say, I'm going to be sober for the rest of my life. They don't say that. They don't do that on purpose because they're like, I don't know what could happen. You know, life could happen. You know, I had a friend of mine who had some clean time or sober time, whatever you want to call it. uh, And his dad passed away unexpectedly. He wasn't ready for that. Yeah. And, you know, and then he he found a, yeah, he found something that would comfort him. And yeah, it's like, starts the cycle all over. Right? Yeah. It's just like, I mean, I'm blessed cause I don't feel the need to drink. Uh, you know, I think people think like, Oh, I'm in a bar. I'm going to be, it's like, I don't like drinking. I don't enjoy the experience of it very much. I like going to Devon's and having a cocktail or two. Yeah. Or going to Armour and having a beer or two. But if I have more than two drinks, I can't sleep that night. Yeah. And I so wish Devin I still did comedy, by the way, that's a side note. Oh, back. Well, we don't have a stage. We don't have the space, but yeah, no, uh, I wish he, Oh, Devin too. Devin was, so Devin and I, so my <laughs> yeah. business partner, Devin, who's yeah. the main, he's the name behind Devin's complaint yeah. department. He's my business partner. Uh, Colin and Devin and I all used to work at Jimmy John's yeah. together. So that's how we all know each other. Uh, and Devin got me into comedy. Um, and he's one of the best, funniest humans ever, right? Like gotcha. the dude's amazing and, uh, and he's killing it. I mean, he's just, he's so good at what he does. Um, you know, basically running three bars, um, being a dad, uh, being just a cool, supportive, awesome dude. Um, and you know, we started off at Jimmy John's together. So just like having our birthday last weekend, our company birthday and, you know, making it in seven years together, I, th- I think is just such a sweet thing, you know, that we got to share together. So what did he get out for the same reason you got out? Just busy. Well, yeah. Cause he initially, when I, when I pitched him the idea of analog, and I said, I'd like you to run it. The first thing is he's like, I really would like to not work Thursday night so I can make it to the open night. Mike's at busy. Yeah. like, that's, he loved, he loves comedy. Yeah. Right. And he wanted to continue to do comedy. And then he got in far enough to the job within the first few months, really, where he was like, I can't do both. My brain is full, you know? Yeah. And the thing about comedy is like, if you don't put the time in and you don't put the thought in, uh, it's not fun because then you suck. You know yeah. what I mean? And there's nothing worse than being not funny. Yeah. You know? <laughs> when you're so, supposed to be funny. When yeah. you're supposed to be funny. So I think that's the thing is that he he made a choice and um and uh you know just decided to focus on his career and and has made that his sport. You know, that's his that's his outlet now. Um just like me. Yeah. Well, either of you. We're a very welcoming community. We'll welcome you back if you want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. I know that if I can't yeah. dedicate the time to it, I don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, I get asked to do sets probably twice a year. Still, even though I haven't done comedy in really? seven years. Like, yeah, people will be like, hey, just come up one more time. And I'm like, I can't. You can't just flick the switch. Yeah. You know, it's not a light switch. I haven't written any jokes. And in- Yeah, it would take three months of open mics, which I don't have time for, yeah. to then, you know, it's hard enough for me to sneak away for an hour. Yeah, dude. You know? So that building in that time, I just don't, I don't have, but I miss it. I, like, I, as much as I don't care about drinking, I miss comedy so much. <laughs> yeah. That's the addiction that I miss, yeah. right? Yeah. That's the one that I'm like, man, I wish I still had it, but I don't. You know, <laughs> that, that ship has sailed. Yeah. My brother did comedy for like a year, and I asked him the other day, and I was like, "Is it?" he lives in Chicago, and I was like, are you, gonna, you, you ever going to do it again? He's like, nope. 
I did it. It's done. Well, if you want to talk, talk about toxicity, like Chicago, that scene is very toxic. Yeah, he didn't get deep into it. Oh man, it was like be, like uh, man, it was like being the he Chicago just scene his toes in. was like a high school. Like I've heard with 30, 40 year olds, it was weird. Well, I think they're all. It's like they had that kind of little brother syndrome because like New York and L A is really the place where if you're going to do stand up professionally, like you got to be in one of those two cities. Yeah. Otherwise you're kind of like a road dog or yeah. like a regional, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think they had that chip on their shoulder and they would just attack each other. I mean, it was, it was vicious. It was really, really vicious. Jeez. What's the, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> what is the point of that? I don't know. Egos. Yeah. A lot. Of, they need yeah. to all do ayahuasca. <laughs> they need to all just everyone should down. do ayahuasca. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Well, we got to wrap up, man, but I appreciate you taking the time. This is so fun, man. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, having a good conversation, being able to catch up. I haven't seen you in a while. It's been a long time. Um, and uh, You're not in the bar, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But I could still uh, I could still go to Armor Gardens because they have food. So Yeah. Need to do that.